Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. So uh, we are um, starting a new uh, series today in the letter to the Philippians. And so uh, it's probably one of my favorite um, letters of the New Testament. It's written by Paul. Uh, it was written probably about like 62 AD, so quite a bit ago. Uh, but Paul uh, was probably a Christian for about 30 years at this point when he wrote it. So been through lots of different things. Uh, we believe he was probably in jail. Uh, that's pretty true. Which jail he was in, because he was in jail lots of different times. You're like, wait, what is this faith? The guy that wrote no, most of the New Testament was in jail a lot. That's right. And he was, he was in jail for his faith in Christ because they worshiped a different, uh, they worshiped different gods. Uh, it was okay if you worshiped all kinds of gods, but they actually viewed Christians during this time. They actually called them atheists because they didn't believe in the gods that they worshiped. And so this Jesus uh, that, that rose from the grave and was crucified, it just made no sense to them. It was just, it was lunacy. And so Paul uh, was in jail during this time and he wrote the letter to this church in Philippi. Uh, you can read about the founding of this church in Acts chapter 16. And uh, Paul and his companions came to down to a place near the river where um, this group of people that is what we would call God-fearers, in other words, they believed in God, but they didn't necessarily have a personal kind of, you know, guiding relationship. They feared God, but they were down by the river and in praying and in Paul and his companions come up and share Jesus with them. And this, this woman named Lydia was, was really the founder of the church in uh, Philippi because she would welcome travelers and missionaries and Christians into uh, her home and, and built the church in that place. So it was the first church in Eastern Europe. And so it really significant. It was uh, along the uh, Ignatian way. Uh, and so it was a major traffic route. There was, there was a, it was a wealthy area. It was, uh, it was founded by the first emperor, Octavian. And so it was made up of a bunch of manly men and their families. Uh, it was the warriors of the Roman Empire that was founded. He, they took these guys that were done retiring from war and they put them in this place in Philippi and, and made the city there. So pretty, pretty amazing place. Um, the theme of the letter is the progress of the life and story of Jesus in the Philippians, through the Philippians, and then in relationship to Paul as well and what he's going on. So the gospel, the progress of the gospel, that's what you see all throughout the letter. Uh, Paul is trying to make sure that the gospel, the life and story of Jesus is working in them and through them to, to all other people. Uh, joy is actually uh, like a major sub-theme uh, of the book. And actually for uh, I don't know, for as long as I've been teaching the Bible, you know, 25 plus years, I've been teaching like joy is the main theme. And I've, I've relegated to that other theme. Cause what I've realized is, is that the joy that this book speaks about so much comes through having the life and story of Jesus in you and then through you. And so joy is the byproduct of that. And so that's how we're going to look at the book. Uh, the theme verse for the, the letter and an important one is this. It's Philippians 2.5. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so that's an important verse because the whole book really speaks of getting the life and story of Jesus in you. So it's saying, like, how will you be influenced? 
Like who will influence you for the way that you live? It speaks of attitude. It's speaking of your thinking, the way that you approach things, how you view things, the lens that you put on to see things in the world. And it's kind of the language in this version, the new living is, is kind of, it kind of accosts you. You must like, well, wait a minute. Don't I have a choice in this? And, and it's, it, they're trying to force it saying like, look, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is the number one thing is that have the mind of Christ, have the thinking of Christ. And then you'll truly find all that is, is in Jesus. But if you, if you try to approach Christianity, just like a, a way of like, well, I'm going to be a nice person or I'm going to do these things. It's going to be frustrating for you. But if you try to actually walk out and live out the life and story of Jesus in your own life, watch out. True life itself happens. And so, so that's what we see. And also too, you say, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Like, you know, we're saying, change my thinking, these things, what's going on? Well, it's happening to you already, right? I mean, in, in no other time, like, uh, like any other, we have people coming out saying, well, I'm an influencer, right? Like you have these people that they don't really do anything besides influence, right? Like, you know, and, and so people, uh, you know, wear the clothes that they wear or, or they shop where they shop or they, they view things the way that they do or they do things. And, 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 and you know, there's, there's young people that are influencers and, and sometimes they have them do really stupid stuff, you know, like, oh, I saw this, I'm going to do that. You know, that's a really good thing to do, you know, no way. And it's been happening for a while. You've had movies that, you know, have come out and people do silly stuff and, and you follow those and do those. But we have so much that we're taking in all the time, which is telling us, hey, think this way, live this way. And so we all do it. And what Philippians is saying, like, be influenced by the, the life and story of Jesus. Let that be that which leads you and shows you the way. So um, let's pray. I want us to pray. And then uh, I want us to ask God, it, whenever we start a new book or series, it's important that we just say, hey, God, would you do what you want to do in us? Like, how amazing would that be that if we would have more of Jesus in us and more of Jesus through us in the next five weeks? So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for Holy Spirit, for these words that you inspired Paul to write um, when he was in a place of circumstances not being the best. And yet he grabbed onto you because you were in him and you were working through him to these people, these Philippians. And so God, we thank you that these words, they speak to them, but they also speak to us. And so God, we ask that um, you would, by your Holy Spirit, that you would show us the ways that we're being influenced that aren't healthy. Uh, as we do that in contrast to what we say, what we see you doing here. And so God, make us more like you. Jesus, live your life through us, because in that we find true life in ourselves and who we're made to be. So speak to us through this study of Philippians. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so ancient letters in this Greco-Roman time period, they typically always had a way of writing them. And, you know, this is somewhat of a lost art today because, you know, with emails and texts and, you know, it's just kind of like it's all out there, right? Um, you, you know, there's some formality in business and other ways, but it's just kind of, it's all over the place. Well, in this time, you had a certain form that you would do these letters in. And so uh, there was really threefold salutation. There was, there were, you would say that who the writer is, right? And so we start like, dear John, 
dear Stacy, you know, that sort of thing. What they would start with and what Paul starts with is he says, this is who's writing. And then they speak to who the addressee is. And then, um, and then there's some sort of greeting or encouragement that sets the tone for the overall letter. This is a friendship letter. Paul writes a, a letter of friendship to, um, the, uh, to the Philippians. Uh, uh, they supported his ministry. Um, they sent money through Epaphroditus, who you'll hear about in the book. And uh, Paul wrote it, sent it back with them, this letter, when he went back. And he said, hey, thank you. And let me encourage you in Jesus. And so um, he, that's somewhat of the letter. Um, his letters usually include a thanksgiving or sometimes some sort of prayer support. Um, you typically can find the content of Paul's letters that he writes in the New Testament in the first section, the first several verses. And he points to his what his overall theme is for the overall book. And that's what we see today in Philippians. So we're going to go through the first 11 verses, and then we're going to pick up speed in the coming weeks because we'll get through the rest of chapter one next week, and then we'll do one chapter a week after that, two, three, and four. And so it's important that we set this as the foundation for the whole book of Philippians. Um, so we see Paul's concern of the letter in Philippians 1, verse 1 through 2. It says, uh, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And so uh, slaves or servants and holy people or saints. Those are the words of the people that are included in these first two verses. And Paul and Timothy are slaves or servants of Jesus, and the people are holy people are set apart, all because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's important because these people's relationship with God was forever changed because of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that. Uh, who doesn't want their relationship with God changed? Who doesn't want to be in a right relationship with the one true living God? And theirs was changed by Jesus. And you may need your relationship changed with God today. You may need it changed. And know this is that you can't change it. You and yourself, you and your own ability cannot do it. You cannot get good enough. You cannot uh, get bad enough uh, to change that relationship. The only thing that truly changes your relationship is Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the one that came, he lived a perfect life. He rose from the he he was crucified for our sins to make things right between us and God. He rose on the third day after that and then he ascended to heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in our lives. And so Jesus is the only one that can make our lives right with God and change that relationship. Uh where it says slaves or servants, the word is doulos. And it, uh, the slave one throws us off We're like, whoa, because it's, it's pretty gnarly in, in our country's history. And we, and, and then there's slavery today. Slavery is actually more rampant across the world than it's ever been. Uh, the things that people do to each other are, uh, you know, just horrible, right? Uh, and so you think, but this guy's saying, I'm a slave or a servant of Jesus. And the intent here is in their world, it was more like an indentured servant. Uh, when he speaks of this word and, and, and basically it's like your life is wrapped around the life of your master. 
And so Paul and Timothy are saying, my life is fully wrapped around Jesus and our life is for him. Uh, it's our will wrapped up in his will versus the other way around. I serve him. He doesn't serve me. And then when it speaks of the, the people of Philippi, where it says holy people are saints, the word is hagios, and it means like set apart or devoted to. So he's saying, you people of Philippi, you are devoted to God. Like you read in scripture with the temple or the tabernacle and you see all these instruments and things that are devoted to God and they're used for holy worship of God. Well, the Bible speaks of you as people being set apart, like devoted to God, your life for God and all that he wants. Um, so what kind of people are these in this picture? Um, you notice that it sets apart the overseers and the deacons from the, just the regular people in the church. And uh, it's interesting. We see that, well, of course, the overseers or deacons, the pastors, they're like a special class or they're the special people. I mean, if any place at church, they get a title or that sort of thing. And I just want to set this straight. Like um, it's always kind of been, but um, pastors are servants of the people. Pastors, like our job is to, it's, it's in the kingdom of God, it's always upside down. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, then be the least, be the servant of all people. It, you know, in our age, you know, we, there always has been, we see it in scripture. Uh, we see it Apollos and Paul, you know, Paul was a good speaker and did great things, but Apollos was this like, you know, probably taller than Paul and, and better looking than Paul and maybe a better orator. And so he got all kinds of press and there was this, this thing between them. But, you know, so there's always been superstar pastors and things, but it's kind of rampant in our culture today. And I just want you to know that the, the title pastor, if anybody pushes it, it, it needs to be that I, I'm your servant. I'm here for you because that's the job of pastors is that the people would thrive. The people would absolutely thrive for the work of ministry and for life. And so that's what we see in this here. And it's very important because Paul uses the term. He uses, he doesn't, he uses the word soon, uh, in speaking of relationship versus meta. Meta means among. Okay. So, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's like this thing, like, uh, you know, you're among the people, but soon means connected from a common event. What's the common event that the overseers and deacons and all the people are connected to? Well, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the people of God, the, the thing that sets us all together is that we're connected by this common event of Jesus Christ. And there's a togetherness with it. There's no superstars. There's no people that are better than anybody else within the church. Everyone is set apart as a saint and everyone is set apart by this one event, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so um, that's important. And you typically will see the health of a church based upon how people relate to the leaders in the church and how the leader relates to them based upon, are they somebody special or no? No, uh, we're all people that are ultimately just before the cross of Jesus. We all are really just, uh, some people have said, you know, just uh, beggar, uh, beggars showing other beggars where the bread is. I mean, that's really, if we put it into perspective, that's who we are. Um, there's a, uh, it says that, that grace and peace come from the Father to the people. Um, uh, grace means like unearned or unmerited favor. So it's saying that God just pours 
unmerited, unearned favor upon people. Uh, Listen to Gordon Fee about grace and peace and their relation here. He says, the sum total of God's activity towards his human creatures is found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing is deserved. Nothing can be achieved. The sum total of those benefits as they are experienced by the recipients of God's grace is peace. And so literally this verse two, it's different in, in the, in the translation here, but literally what it means is grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is also, he's poking right here. You're like, well, isn't that a nice, just peaceful statement? No, he's declaring war. He's declaring war on the pressure that they're receiving as the people of God. Because you receive pressure in your life, some greater, some less, depending on where you work or where you're involved in or the people you live near. But there's always pressure if you're going to go after Jesus, because there's no other greater name than Jesus. You can speak God or you can speak spirituality all you want, but throw the name of Jesus right in the middle of a room. And it's like, whoa, something just changed. Because his name is the greatest name and people know it. And they know that with Jesus, a decision has to be made. And so what Paul's doing here is he's pushing against the overall belief or culture of the people. So Philippi was was started by Octavian, the first Roman emperor. And uh, he was the first one that they used the term Lord and Savior for. And so all Roman emperors, they would use the term at any public gatherings, they would recognize the emperor and say that they were Kyrios and Soter. They were, they were Lord and Savior. And so what Paul says is like, hey, let me just get this straight right away. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It's not the government. It's not a person. It's not a man. It's no other person. And there's no other God. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And Nothing can truly happen with your relationship with God or people except through Jesus Christ. And so he's pushing on that and throwing the gauntlet down right away to go after them. So think about this. This is the amazing community that you're a part of as a Christian. You're a part of a group of people that are experiencing the grace and the peace that's given by God. Like that's your environment, just a bunch of people just going to the wells, going to the springs of just lapping up and enjoying the grace and the peace that comes from God. And it's actually changing you and it's changing the world. That's your environment. That's who you're a part of. But it gets even better. Let's look at verse three. It says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make, I make my requests for all of you with joy For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you heard it until now. And so Paul gives thanks here. And and, and he has this ongoing attitude towards them. And he has a gratitude towards them, um, you know, to God. You know, prayer is one of the largest investments that you can ever make with a person, right? Because when you pray, you can actually talk with God about something. that, you know, you can't necessarily talk to them about, right? Uh, I mean, you ever take somebody head on with, about something that they're doing? You know, sometimes you can do that and it turns out okay. But a lot of times 
you know, it's, it's better to, you know, better to pray, really soak that thing in prayer, you know, uh, especially if it's the people closest to you, you know, the things that you see, you know, if you try to change somebody or tweak somebody, uh, it's a lot harder if you haven't gone after it in prayer. And so Paul prays for these guys consistently. Um, he prays with joy in verse, uh, uh, in, in, in verse four and five. He prays with joy. Why? Because he says it, they are his partners in verse five. And the word here is koinonia, if you've heard it. And so you can use it for participation in anything. So if you play football, you, you participate, you koinonia in football. Uh, if you, um, if you play uh, a game or cards and that's your game, or you play fantasy football, you koinonia in fantasy football. That's what it's talking about. But, but Paul is so joyful and he's so happy because these people have been participating in the gospel. They've been participating in the in and through of the life and story of Jesus. And that's his, his concern for this whole book is that they would progress in that. Um, and so, uh, the word here for uh, like good news is 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 gospel, and it's evangelion, and um, that explains the life and story of Jesus. And but why is it good news? Well, a lot of people share like, well, what's the gospel? And they say, well, Jesus, um, Jesus, uh, like saved me, right? Now that's that's the effect of the gospel. That's the effect of the good news. The gospel always starts with the person of Jesus. It always starts with the kingdom of God has invaded time and space, but more importantly, the king has actually come himself. And that king is Jesus. And the good news is is that the kingdom of God is for all people. There's not one person that, that will ever live that it's not for. So absolutely everybody can know God. Absolutely, everybody can be right with God. And, and then the even greater news is that when Jesus came, he set, he came to set things right. So he set to bring justice. And so the things in the, that we see in the world, the things that have been done wrong to you, the things that have been done wrong to, to other people, Jesus has come invading with God's kingdom the way that God would have things, invading all time and space to make things right. And you say, well, Cody, why are things still messed up? Because the kingdom of God has come, but not in its fullness. And so God has come and he's working and it's, it's coming to, it's coming to an ultimate end. You read the end of the book and it's, it's a place where there's no more tears. There's no more dying. There's no more horrible things to done to one another. There's no more killing. There's, there's no more cancer. There's no more disease. There's no more pandemics. There's no hurtful, even words. Everything has come together in its fullness. And that's where all things are going to. I've shared with you before, one person put that like you, there's a monorail, like there's this world and there's this life and the fallen world and the effects of sin. And then there's the kingdom of God. And it's another rail that comes here. And because of Jesus, it started with him, the breaking in that this rail breaks into this life at times and it breaks in and breaks in. Uh, when you gave your life to Jesus, the kingdom of God broke in. And, and when you, when you love somebody or when you pray for somebody and, and God answers that, the kingdom of God breaks in and they're actually going towards each other in this rail. God's kingdom is going to overtake all of this. It's going to be superimposed over it and all things going to be made right. That's the good news of Jesus. That's what these guys are partaking in, in experiencing and being a part of. 
And that's for all of us to t- take part in too. So, so how does one partner with the gospel? Like, how does one do it? The, well, it's the in, right? The God, kingdom of God comes in my life and then it works out through my life. So that's, that's part of it. But it's always with others. Just the simplicity of the community of Jesus. That's how it's been for 2,000 years. Just people gathering around this person of Jesus and growing together. And so it's very hard to be participating in the gospel unless it is with others. Because when others are involved, it means that you will sacrifice. Because remember, it's about getting this life and story of Jesus into your life, in you, and then through you. And so Jesus, the one that sacrificed everything and laid down his life, that life and story must also be a part of yours as well. Right? What did Jesus say? He didn't hide it. He said, look, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone wants to be a Christian, let them lay down their life, let them take up their cross and follow me. In other words, you too will live this life of, life of sacrifice for other people. And it's, it is basic. Participating in the gospel is inviting, which is, right? Like what I just shared is I said, hey, here's this. This is what God's doing. And I'm inviting you in at its basic. Like that's how I, somebody invited me up to a vineyard church when I was 15 years old and they invited me into the good news of the kingdom. Same with you at some point will you say, well, I was born into a family, brought me to church, still invited, right? Uh, if you weren't raised in the church and somebody invited you, you were invited into the kingdom. You're invited into the good news. And then once you come into that and give your life to Christ, it's giving and receiving, right? And so it's giving of your time, energy, and resources, your money, like everything. Everything is God's. If you say, Jesus is my Savior, everything is His, and it's through relationship. Now, here's the cool thing. Everything that is God's is also yours, but it's through relationship. So you're like, well, do I get like a lump sum? You know, or like, how does this work here? Do I get that? So what you get is you get everything that is God's, but it's through relationship. And then, so that's, that's, that's the giving and receiving. Um, but it's also getting close enough to people that, that you can actually, uh, receive from them and give to them and be offended by them and offend them greatly too. Okay. Cause it's not just like, well, it's just this easy thing, right? Oh, we just give and we receive. No, it's, it's working it out, right? Like, like I'm an amazing Christian follower of Jesus until I get around other people. You know, like I'm just so full of love and everything else, right? But it's other people like, God, you know, would you work in me? Would you make me more like you? And, but if you could just kind of move this person and that person and move this person away, I'd be a lot better. No, that's how God's answering the prayer. He answers the prayer by putting people in your life that will help you. Like as iron sharpens iron, one, so one person sharpens another. And so that's what's happening within the church. Um, when I was out in Phoenix this week, I got to the airport in Kansas City, and if you've flown out of there very much, it was crazy. The, um, like the security line is always so short. I mean, it's just, I've never gone past maybe 10 minutes waiting. The, the line was, it was all the way back. Uh, it was just it, flying southwest. It was, I mean, I think it was probably um, like, uh, you know, I don't know, several hundred feet. It was just crazy. And I'm like, what is going on? I didn't know if I was going to make my flight. So I get through and, I, and I'm wondering if there's other vineyard pastors from the area there. And, and I see four of them right away. All right. And I wish I had never seen them um, because, uh, and yes, if, I, if you're watching, I love you. But, um, but 
but so I saw them like, hey guys. And so we chatted and we hadn't seen each other in a while. Get on the, we're on the same plane and we fly and we get there. I'm like, hey, let's grab a meal or something. And they're like, yeah, even better. Why don't we go on a hike? I'm like, yeah, I love hiking. Let's do it. And so, so then we take our bags out and, and, and we're out kind of in the, you know, off the plane and, and they say, Hey, just so we know, like, like what's your level? I'm like, I can do any level, you know, no problem. It's like these people, come on. You know, I mean, and they're probably 10 years younger than me. So I'm like, I, and then they go, well, Hey, if you can't make it, Matt will carry you down. I'm like bull jive. I will carry Matt down. Let's go. And so Long story short, they go breakfast somewhere else. I go to breakfast somewhere else. Then they text me, "Hey, we're going to um, we're going to uh, Echo Canyon uh, to go hike. Uh, we'll, we'll be there in in you know 20 minutes." I'm like, "Well, I need some time. I'll be there a little late." He said, "Great, no problem. We'll meet you 0.7 miles up, and we'll wait for you there." I'm like, "Great, no problem." So I did I did no research about the hike anything else, and so it, it's a um, it was a double black diamond uh, like uh, hike, which is. I don't know. I just, I heard black diamond. I know skiing, that's tough. And so long story short, I get up to where they're at. I think that's the end of the hike. Like we're just going to sit there and look at the pretty view and the vista and um, look it up. So it's, it's Camelback mountain in Phoenix. And it's just this, like at some point you're holding onto these rails and like this backwards and, and you're bouldering and going all over this stuff and getting, uh, it, but here's the thing though, like for a moment, for a couple of hours, uh, we were double black diamond hikers, you know, all of us. And, and after I got over the fact that they brought me to a certain death, I said, look, Michelle's not gonna let me hang out with you guys anymore. You just need to know that, you know? Um, but during the hike, like we helped each other, um, uh, you know, at different points, like uh, it was cause you literally couldn't have anything in your hands and you had to crawl up these boulders and do all kinds of stuff. And, um, and, uh, and, and so one of the people said, Hey, uh, give me your water bottles. I'll put them in my pack. Uh, and so, so she carried those and, 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 and we, and, oh, Hey, let me help you pass that. Or, or, Hey, don't go there. And, and so it, like, we were like, we were this nice, uh, tight knit group that for two hours or so, like we helped each other. We were hikers, but as soon as we got to the lot, we stopped being double black diamond hikers. You know, we just, we went to our normal lives and then it's real hard to be double black diamond hikers in the plains of Kansas and Missouri. Right. And so that's a picture of investing in the gospel. Paul says they did it consistently. They stayed in location and proximity to be able to continue to, to function in this investing, in this giving, in this receiving of the gospel. They kept in location of it. And that's what we're called to do is to continue to allow the life and story to come in us and through us to other people because there's a being and there's a becoming of a follower of Jesus. Like today, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. You are saved. You have that, but you're also becoming that. We as a church, like we're doing things like Jesus is living in us and he meets us here and then he works through us into the community. So we are the people of God, a community of Jesus, but we're also becoming it. Because as I look at what God's doing through us, like in this community, in reaching people's lives and in your neighborhoods and your homes, your workplaces, I look at it and say, amen, so good, but let's ask for more. Let's become more. Let's ratchet it up. Let's say, God, bring heaven on earth or heaven in Kansas City, bring your kingdom. So there we go. So you get it wrapped around. So bring your kingdom as it is in heaven in Kansas City. You know, that's what we want. That's really what we want.
And, uh, you know, as we do that, we see that God will finish his work uh, in the people and in the church. It says in Philippians 1, 6, it says, and I, am a, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, <clears throat> will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the f- special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in, de- in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And so, um, Paul says he's certain that God will continue a work. This guy's in prison for doing good. And he's certain about the goodness of God. And so this is very important as you people ask for the life and story of Jesus, as we as a community ask for the life and story of Jesus in our lives to work in us and through us, is that in the kingdom of God, the your circumstances don't dictate to you reality. What God has done through Jesus in, in inaugurating the kingdom of God and the way things will be, the future is your reality. Kind of a trip, right? That's what the Bible teaches. Is that in this life, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. And so as you look at your life and the things that are going on, that's not really your reality. Your reality is, is when it's all wrapped up, when it's all good, when it's all set, when things, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more dying. That's your reality of actually where you truly live. And so that's why each individual follower of Jesus, each individual Christian has a great responsibility. Because your marching orders, your job, and then us as a church, our job is to give people a preview of things to come. In other words, like you watch trailers for movies. Hey, here's what this movie is going to be like. And here's all these highlights. Your life as a follower of Jesus is to show those highlights, those preview of the things to come to other people. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, one is, is how you handle adversity how you handle things going bad, how you handle worldwide pandemics, how you handle civil unrest, how you handle the way the government works in your life and how you view government and all those things, how you handle, like how you handle those things is, is one way. You, you, you show a preview of things to come the way that you forgive, that when you're wronged, you as one that's been forgiven can forgive somebody else. That's a preview of things to come because in, in where things are going is that everything's forgiven. It's all done. I show a preview of things to come when I pray for somebody that's sick and minister to them and they're healed because in there, they're going to be healed. I also minister the things to come when I pray for them and they're not healed. Somehow that tension, because I'm loving them, I'm caring for the whole person. And so isn't that weird? You're like, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to live as if I'm already there. I'm supposed to live as if everything is already set right. I'm supposed to live as if everything's good. I'm supposed to live as if all sickness and disease, right? Yes, absolutely. 
And so you're, I mean, but it's also kind of cool. You're, you're saying, Cody, is you want me to be delusional? No, circumstances are real. Pain is real. But as a follower of Jesus, your true home is a place where none of that is there. And so you, as a Christian, are a leader. What do leaders do? They try to see what's coming and they try to lead people there and influence people there and help people be there. And so this is the through you guys. You as followers of Jesus have this incredible ability to be able to bring life and love into this world. You are carriers of life and love and it comes from what's already here and you draw from the waters of where it already is. You're like a person walking through the desert and you have this elixir that can fix any life. Anybody that's missing water or dehydrated or needs food or whatever, just one drop will do. And you bring it from this world, from this other place into a place where there's so much pain, there's so much dying, there's so much hurt. You are a carrier of life and love. And that's why Paul says, look, I'm confident of this, is that God is just not a beginner, but he's a finisher. He's begun the work in you and he will finish the work in you. And he works it all through. So our reality is completely different. And then at the end, you know, and I know it gets kind of sappy here, right? Like uh, God knows how much I love you, you know, and, and you just read it. But what he says though, is he says that it's with the compassion and the effect affection of Jesus. So as you read these verses here, six, seven, and eight, He's saying that this is the way Jesus sees you. You know, and and some of us here today, we hear that Jesus loves us. We hear that he's given his life for us. And we have even accepted his sacrifice for our sins and and we're saved and and, and we're going to experience eternal life and we have it now. But you don't see God as one that loves you. You don't see God as one that's affectionate to you or compassionate to you. It's more kind of like he's done this great thing for me. I better get busy. I better do things and hopefully I'll please him. And that's just not his voice. He's affectionate and he's compassionate to you. He, he just, he loves you so much. And this is something I've struggled with. And, and a few years ago, several years ago, I don't know, six or seven years ago, the Lord just like accosted me with this. He goes, you think I'm not affectionate to you. You think I'm not, I'm like, what? Now, you didn't know he had kind of like an Irish English accent, did you? So, um, but so I, he just spoke to me. He says, he said, and I'm just like, wow. And then now I see it all over the place. I saw it, th- I saw it this week all, all over. See God doing those things. And so he has compassion upon you and he's affectionate towards you. In verse nine, um, what we're going to see is we're going to see, uh, a prayer that Paul prays for the people. And it's would be the result of, like what we've walked through in the book, like this life of Jesus in you and through you, we can hear you guys. Don't, you know, don't, sh- yeah, we can hear them. So, yeah, yeah. So, isn't that funny? Shh, they will hear us. So, um, we love our young people. And so, so it's a prayer. It's a prayer about what would, what would be worked out like through this, like this would be the result of this. And um, that's the big question, right? It's like, like, how does, like, so if I receive the affection of Jesus, if I receive his love, if I'm, if I'm letting the life and story of Jesus come in me, well, what happens? Well, you end up flowing in this river. This is where you camp out. This is where you live. And one of the best examples of this is a guy named George Mueller. And, uh, he, he, he was an evangelist. He was a preacher and, but he had, he had orphanages in England. 
And there's such a great story where uh, he had 300 children at this uh, at this orphanage, and um, the uh, the women uh, that were helping him there, they got the children ready for school, and they said the children are all dressed and ready for school, but we have no food. And so it's the morning, and so he tells her, he says, "Bring all the children into the mess or into the into the eating hall, just like we had food." And this is all documented, by the way, so you can look it up. And so, so he, he says, to, he says, everybody sit down and he prays, God, thank you for the food that you've provided for these children. Thank you that you graciously provide for us. And he's like, and then he just waits. They wait. And then there's a knock on the door and it's the baker. And the baker says, says, you know, uh, George, uh, I, I couldn't sleep all night. And so I got up early and I, I baked all these, uh, these, these racks of bread and I just knew that you needed it. And so here it is. And so the children have bread, right? And, and, and you're just like, well, that's amazing. But, but, then you, but then wait a minute and now you have another knock on the door and it's the, it's the milkman. And the milkman says, George, uh, my, my, my milk, my wheel on my, uh, my milk vehicle, I don't know what vehicle they had, but so I'm just going to say vehicle. So my milk, the wheel broke. And so by the time I get it to where it's going, it's going to be spoiled. And so could you use it for the, for the children? And you look and you say, well, isn't that a picture of like the circumstances don't define it, but the reality, because isn't where we're headed and where things are headed in, in God's world, isn't it like, there's always, there's always enough. There's always more. There's always bread. There's always milk. And so that's where we flow into. And so Paul ends with this prayer and it it goes along these lines um, in verse nine. And so um, let's look at it. It says, it says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will be much glory and praise to God. So know this, anytime you find a prayer in scripture, like this in the New Testament, that person is praying what Jesus intends to do in you. Okay? So when you see Paul and others write a prayer for the church or people, he's showing the cards of God saying that this is God's intent for you. So if you say, well, what in the world is God doing in my life? Look at these prayers and you can pray them for yourself. You can pray them for other people. You know, sometimes what do I pray for people? You can pray these prayers. And so he prays for their knowledge, for their discernment, for their purity, for their righteousness. I mean, isn't that what the world needs? People like that? That every aspect of their lives, their mind, their attitudes, their behavior would be transformed by God's love in Christ. So this is what God's working in your life. Like you personally, me personally, this is what God's working in your life. If you want to see more prayer answered in your life, if you want your prayer life to be more effective, where you're like, man, when I pray, things happen and see them happening, follow this model. Because if you want to see prayer answered, recognize what God's doing. See what he's doing, right? He can do all sorts of things, but he is doing specific things within communities. One of the things that God spoke to us when we came out here on 
uh, two weekends in 2018 on these hotter than Hades days. Like we flew in, we thought we didn't know where we were. You know, it was 100% humidity and just like, man, where are we? This is just, it was nuts, you know, and we didn't know anybody. We didn't, I didn't know a soul. We had met people by Zoom and we came in here, but God put in our hearts that he wanted to reach the youth, the young people of this community and surrounding, and then he would reach the families and other people as well. And, and that's shown true. And, and, and it's just not our church, but other churches, we're seeing people do that. We're seeing, we're seeing young people. Did you know during the pandemic, we had, we had young people contact us just on our website. I'm, I'm lost. I need Jesus. Do you know, we have, we have young people, uh, you know, uh, come in and in contact and, uh, some of the people from fifth quarter, like that have been coming. They don't come to church, but they, they're around. And, and, and some of those young people through just loving them or they're coming to Jesus. And then they're saying, Hey, I have other people that I know that want to know Jesus too. And we have, we have those people and that's what God's doing. And so figure out. So what do we pray for a lot is we pray for that. When you say, well, what about uh, these people or that people? Well, God typically will reach people by being focused. And so he's doing a lot of that through the young people here. So recognize what God's doing in your life. Recognize what he's doing at your workplace. Like just ask him, God, what are you doing at my workplace? He'll show you. God, what are you doing in my neighborhood? He'll show you. And then thank him for what he's doing. Thank him for what he's doing. And then pray for more of what he's doing. That's how you see more prayer answered in your lives in, in, in the people around you. And so, um, you know, I, I think it stands out in verse 10. It says, for I want you to understand what really matters. Right? Wouldn't that be amazing if we were able to work through all the muck and the mire of everyday life and everything and just really understand what really matters? What's hard is, is that a lot of times it takes loss for us to understand what really matters. A lot of times it takes tragedy for us to understand what really matters. But the New Testament speaks to us in such a way, and Paul writes the Philippians in such a way that we can understand what really matters because that's what God's working in us. And it comes through this love that he's put in us becoming more and more alive. It comes through this love coming through not just a knowing about things, but knowing knowledge more and more. Or you know what else it comes through? You, you understand what really matters? New life too. Not just loss, right? Like you guys know what really matters now, huh? Yeah, new baby. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah, and we have a new baby in here. Isn't that amazing? I love how God grows his church. Isn't that good? God loves growing his church through babies. It's so good. And we get to love, we get to love all from the littlest to the youngest, uh, to the oldest. We get to love and share those, teach those people about Jesus. And so that's what God's working in us and through us. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 